Candy, where we talk about healing, self-care, love, sex, relationships, and what it takes to be amazing on the daily. Who I am is Candace Harper Love Coach and Hypnotherapist, and I'm here to support you with feeling epic, enough, peaceful, illuminated, and courageous in every aspect of your life, but particularly in your love life, whether you are single or not. Now, don't forget to subscribe to our audio broadcast, Ask for Candy, on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you normally download podcasts. And also, you can email us, askforcandypodcast at gmail.com, to leave comments and questions, and those questions will be answered in a later broadcast. So we're going to keep on focusing on all the possible avenues for healing the past, loving ourselves unconditionally, and starting our love lives over from a clean slate every damn day. And who this podcast is for is perfectionistic, high-achieving women over 35 who are continuing to do their life's work and still feeling the sting of an unfulfilled love life. And today's topic is going to be very interesting because of a new sort of thing has developed this week, a new transition, a new happening, a new change in my life has developed and it very much affects who I am as a coach and you know what's possible, what's coming up and this whole experience of helping people to heal the past, love themselves unconditionally and start over from a clean slate. So I wanna share a very frank discussion for why I am no longer a matchmaker but still very committed to making sure that clients find love, right? So I still have all my coaching and hypnotherapy clients and all the coaching and hypnotherapy clients that I will have in the future. And even though I don't have any more matchmaking clients and that part is over for now, I wanna talk about why. I wanna talk about you know why that part was out of alignment with me. And so I tried it, folks. I tried to see if it would align, if my work would align with matchmaking and, and, you know, putting matchmaking and relationship coaching together. And when I was first approached to be a matchmaker, I thought for sure, this is so much alignment. I can even recall telling, uh, you know, people that I would interview, they would always ask me, so how did you become a matchmaker? It's one of those things, it's very interesting, right? You don't often meet them. It seems like it's this very uh, you know, interesting, mysterious kind of job that is in certain cultures just expected. And that you know, in Jewish culture and South Asian culture, you know, it's a very respected and expected kind of practice. But in Western culture, you know, it, it's something that people are very intrigued by just because it's not a usual, um, it's not a usual profession that people necessarily aspire to, right? Especially people with a master's degree. <laughs> So, you know, I would get a lot of different responses. Sometimes it was judgment. Sometimes it was, you know, most of the times it was just high level interest. Like, that's so interesting that you're a matchmaker. And so when I first was approached, the first matchmaking company that I worked for, I was like, oh, this is so aligned. I'm really going to be able to thrive. And honestly, in so many ways I did. And amazingly enough, I first started uh, around the time that, that we got first locked down for COVID. So when COVID was beginning, the whole quarantine isolation phase of COVID was beginning was um, just after I had gotten hired 
for my first matchmaking position. So I haven't been matchmaking long. I've been coaching much longer than I've been matchmaking. And so I was like, this is perfect. I'll get to be in on the ground floor of what love looks like in the beginning when people haven't decided all kinds of things about each other and aren't insulting each other and cutting each other down. I thought, oh, I can really thrive with this. I could really make a difference for people. And I did in a lot of ways. The money was great. It was actually really good at first. I would get all kinds of bonuses for yes, yes dates and you know, matching people who had uh, what seemed like high level compatibility together. You know, It felt like there was just a lot of fun, a lot of success. And it was nice to not have to rely on client acquisition for my coaching to pay the bills because it took the pressure off. You know, like I could, I could um, take clients on because they were really clients who were ready for coaching. You know, they'd done the therapy work. You know, they were, you know, somewhat in a personal growth conversation. They weren't just coming cold. And I could decipher and determine, you know, who would really benefit from the coaching that I was doing because I didn't have to put the pressure of needing clients in order to survive on it. So it really, it made a big difference in the quality of clients that I was able to um, work with and continue to work with, right? There was a lot of great things about having that structure of being a matchmaker, working for another company, you know, as a contractor, a lot of stability in that. So it was great in that way. However, in as many ways as it supported me, it was also a huge sabotage that it took me what, a couple years now, it's been a couple years. So yeah, it took me a solid two years to understand the sabotage that it could be. When I started working for smaller companies, thinking that it was more a a more elite kind of situation, um, you know, and thinking that it was gonna be a better paid kind of situation, which absolutely wasn't the case, um, you know, I took less money and there was a sort of a slave labor factor because, you know, it was smaller teams and the expectation was that you'd be available 24 seven, even when that wasn't what the original agreement was. There was a lot of logistic stuff that just didn't work that for me started to cause a little personal sabotage for its actual benefits, right? It was also highly administrative and very usury. It wasn't this, this thing where I really felt like the importance was, uh, client experience. The importance was really helping people. That kind of just didn't really exist where I was in the places that I was working for. And that was missing, that understanding of client experience. And, you know, for those entities to actually really truly care about that. I think they only cared on the level to which it it made sure that no one was asking for their money back. So, you know, as long as they were meeting the agreement, meeting the contract, that's all they really really seem to value. And I don't want to cast aspersions because I don't know for sure, but the feeling was that the value of actually having a client have a transformative experience into finding love was maybe too profound or kind of lost on the situations that I was in. And so that began to grate on me. It began to be become very difficult when the attention was on the minutia of you know, admin and doing what what you were told to do and, um, you know, just the minutia of it, the minutia of the logistics and not understanding that when you do something wholeheartedly in a heart-centered way, that all of that stuff becomes unimportant. Like if a client is having a great experience, they're not clocking that you are, um, you know, meeting the agreement 
which meeting the agreement is very important. Don't get me wrong, but they're not clocking that you're doing it in a timely manner. They're just living in the experience. And when they're, when they're experiencing change, transformation, freedom from their own thoughts, and actually you know, transforming from what it takes to be a single person to what it takes to be a person in a relationship, which that is a necessary transformation. It is impossible for any of us to cause a major shift in our lives, whether it's around love, around money, around anything that we desire by being the same person that we are when we're with what we don't want. You can't be a single person who's unhappy being single, but doing what you're doing to be single and expect to um, attract and sustain a relationship that's going to make you happy. And we all know that, right? No one can come along and make you happy without changing who you are. And not who you are inherently at your core, but who you're being, how you're behaving, how you're showing up in your life, how you're being in your life is what causes your experience. And so I, I don't wanna go on a tangent, but I just realized that you know the experience of matchmaking doesn't value that and it doesn't support that with clients. So what happens a lot of times is you end up with a lot of, of unhappy clients. And a lot of the clients who are matchmaking clients, they, their only criteria that they had to meet was to be able to afford the, the sometimes very high price tag, right? And with that in place, you know, they're, they're taking on clients whose chances of actually being successful are minimal. So one of the big things I noticed is that damage control, it's something that uh, matchmaking companies fear and they're constantly scrambling to handle, that they're, you know, constantly in some sort of, there's always a, a percentage of clients who are completely disgruntled. And it's, it's just like a, a, a you know, it's a constant uphill of just making sure to control the damage, control the damage, which it doesn't have to be. It's what's missing is the wholeheartedness that would, would cure that, that would eliminate that. Maybe not 100% because there's always going to be people who are litigious. There's always going to be somebody who, you know, feels unfulfilled. But even those things can be handled in a way that is wholehearted, in a way that is um, transformative and healing. And what I noticed with the companies that I dealt with is that that skill, those skills aren't valued. And so damage control is what they're used to doing. And how they're used to operating. And so the client's chances would be minimal, but not because of their looks or their age or their personality, but because of what I was saying earlier, that, that lack of knowledge that transformation is necessary, that it's not just about paying your money. And so the mentality that draws people to matchmaking in the first place, even more so the mentality that it that has you invest five figures and up in the hopes of buying your soulmate with absolutely no interest in making an internal change was just a sabotage, a sabotage to love and success. And that's not to say that there was never anybody who was successful. I mean, you know, with all the companies, there, there would occasionally be a couple that, oh yeah, we got along great and dated for a while. And even an engagement, um, you know, rarely, <laughs> but every now and then might happen. And, you know, it, I think it's often chalked up to, oh, well, that's just, you know, the time thing, that's the thing we can't control. 
So it, it really is a very slippery slope and a very difficult thing to be going so deep into people's pockets with a promise and, you know, a promise that is not fully, not a wholehearted promise. It's not fully, you know, no one's saying, oh, we can find your soulmate because you can very much get sued. A lot of liability in that. But this promise that you'll meet enough people that you're going to find a person and that your paying of monies is going to be the power that does that. When in fact, it's quite the opposite. It's your, your emotional investment, right? And so you've heard me talk about some of the self-sabotage and the roadblocks that would come up. But I wanted to just give you some examples because if there's anybody out there who is, you know, has a matchmaker or is considering matchmaking or, you know, is in these, these particular situations, I want you to know that there is hope for, for all of us when we're willing to transform, no matter what your situation is. And as I tell you about these examples, I don't want you to think that these people are in any way terminal. These are just people who had invested a lot of money thinking that the investment of the money and the promises were gonna get them what they wanted and that they were gonna be able to transform, you know, feeling desperate and sad and lonely or just the, the need for love into actually finding love by paying someone. And so, you know, we had a client who thought that since she was only attracting bums who wanted to use her for money, that she would be able to pay to be matched with a wealthy enough man who flies private, which was a big criteria, and would provide her all of her demands for, you know, real estate buying and travel and provisions for her kids. And thought that, you know, because she hired a matchmaker, that that would be um, instantly a way that she could find that match. No change within her, never mind her high level demands, her um, need for control, her uh, uh, neuroticism, you know, and I don't want to diagnose, I'm not trying to diagnose, but just neurotic behavior, her anxieties, the, you know, the things that she had left unhealed, you know, the things that had her picking men who used her in the first place, men who were bums in the first place. Never mind transforming any of that. Just here's my big lump sum because I, I'm under the promise that you will give me enough matches that meet all these external criteria and I'm gonna find them. Another client who didn't wanna have children and which was reasonable. Like, you know, as women, we don't have to wanna have children, right? There's nothing wrong with it. But then also refuse to date anyone who might indicate that they want them or ask her why she doesn't want them because she refused to have to explain herself. Now, there might be a lot of you out there who are like, yeah, girl, why should she have to explain herself? We don't have to explain ourselves. Next snap. Newsflash. If you don't want to have to explain yourself, you are not ready to be in a relationship. A relationship, relating with one another. We have to talk about why we do what we do. Doesn't mean that what we do is right or wrong. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to want anything that anybody else is supposed to want or anyone else wants traditionally. Doesn't mean that we can't make a choice for ourselves that is our own choice. But if you're not willing to explain, justify, explain, talk about, be open with, be authentic, be vulnerable, vulnerable about those things, you're not ready for a relationship. So it was such a true indicator besides some other behaviors that were very resistant around dating, looking for things wrong with people that just made no sense with, without even meeting them yet. 
You know, it's those indicators that someone is not ready and their soul knows they're not ready, which is why they come up with every reason not to go out with people that you match them with. So someone who should have never been brought on as a client because they, they weren't ready. They just weren't ready. And, and, you know, it does take a level of expertise to be able to have those conversations and get to the heart of those things. And it's, it's a real conflict of interest to be wanting a sale and then also um, vetting someone for their capability to, to actually um, be a client. And I get it because I run into it with coaching. I was just talking about it earlier, right? So, you know, when I'm desperate for a sale, I might take on a client who is not necessarily ready for coaching. And, you know, in my early days, I wouldn't do that now. But in my early days of coaching, I was taking on anybody because I was desperate for the sale. I wanted to make the sale. So if they didn't meet the criteria, I would try to fit myself around it, well-intended, in the most loving way I possibly could. But, but also learning each time that every client that I ever took that I knew in my heart wasn't ready or that there was an indicator that it wasn't, the coaching wasn't right for them, if I took them anyway, there were usually consequences because it wasn't alignment and it wasn't, um, it, you know, it just, it wasn't alignment. It wasn't right. And I don't mean morally right. I mean, it, it just wasn't a fit, right? So, um, you know, it's very important to have that discerning and I don't think that, um, you know, at least the experiences that I had, there was that discernment because there wasn't that, that level of care taken. It was, you know, are you willing to pay this price tag, right? There was also a client I had who was 40 and desperate. And these are, you know, this is among three different companies that I worked for. So, and I'm not naming any names or, you know, getting specific about it because people will get in their feelings. But, you know, I had a client who was 40 and desperate, desperate to have a child. And so much so that she invested in matchmaking in the hopes of meeting her goal by the time she was 41. She wanted to be married and pregnant. She was 40. She wanted all this to happen by 41 and, you know, had put all her eggs in the basket of matchmaking. And she approached it with the same stress, pressure, and tenacity that she applied to her career, which was very successful, but also very un unfulfilling for her. That was about you know, trying to prove her enoughness and trying to show how successful she could be to others, trying to um, uh, be good enough for acceptance and validation. And you know, her matchmaking journey was a, was a part of that. So, you know, getting married, having a child, that desire for it, that need to, that stress, that pressure to make it happen was all out of a story of I'm not enough if I don't. I'm not good enough. I'm not valuable enough unless I do these things. And so from that space, she had no business, no business investing her money, her hard-earned money in a process that cannot help you when you're in that space because you'll still show up rejecting, you'll still show up resisting, you'll still, and you'll blame the matchmaker, you'll blame the company, you'll get mad that you spent your money and there'll be no transformation, there'll be no healing around it, which is the only thing that's gonna have you have what you want, the transformation and the healing. The matchmaking is just another vessel, just like a dating app, just like you know going on friend referrals, just like any other way that you might find to meet different people. It's just another way to meet different people, but it is not a magic answer to transformation. It just is not. Unless you are working with a company that values 
your transformation and provides that as part of the service with someone who's actually, you know, knowledgeable and experienced at it. Now, when I was doing it, I was not slated to provide that service. I was not encouraged to provide that service. They would charge for that service. And I was getting no kickback for that service. There was no percentage given to me based on, you know, oh, well, you know, since you're coaching clients as well, and we're charging an extra amount for you to coach those clients, then here's your percentage of that. There was none of that in our agreement. And I, you know, I take the L for that because I didn't arrange that in the beginnings of any of these experiences. And I should have, but I was so excited thinking that I could affect change And that it would be such a support and an alignment to what I was doing that that's what would make it valuable. I wasn't thinking with a a business mind. And I should have been because, you know, in as much as we poo-poo this idea that you you are working for the money and sometimes we uh, shame it as if it's immoral, when no value is given to what you are doing and value in the form of money, value in the form of understanding its importance, it does deteriorate what you're doing. It does minimize what you're doing, but off on another tangent, I go. Also had a client who, um, smart and sophisticated, but um, mean and lonely drunk. Like when she was sober and you'd talk to her during the day, she was just delightful and wonderful. And then she would drink. I think she would day drink. And then by the evening, she was lonely. She was drunken. She was mean. And she would want to call and text because things weren't happening as fast as she wanted them to happen. She had adult children who didn't want anything to do with her, you know, which she had shared. And she would call or text every evening demanding that the man that she, she described her, you know, her list of requirements, the man who fit all those boxes materialize immediately or else as if I could snap my fingers. And I know, I I don't say that from a victim place, like, oh, poor me, she did that to me. She wasn't doing anything to me. But that's what often inappropriate clients do to matchmaking situation because they have this expectation that I have paid this much money, I should be able to snap my fingers, and there he is, or there she is, because men do it just, just as well. And I could give you examples for them too, oof. And so, you know, I say all of this to say, if, if you hear yourself or anything resonates, just, you know, the stress, the anxiety, the desperation, the demand, especially after investing your money, which I think increases all of those feelings, you want to be really cognizant of how important it is to experience transformation before going down uh, a road like this. And so what was the most difficult as a coach was to force myself to pretend that I could do the impossible. And that's what I ultimately found myself doing. That I could create for them what they refused to create for themselves. And by refused, I, I mean that in the most understanding that it was, a, it was a unconscious refusal, right? It was from a blind spot, looking through a lens, not knowing, blind to the fact that I'm actually refusing to create this soulmate for myself. I'm expecting you to do it because I've paid you my money. So this blind refusal, thinking that I could create that for them um, when they wouldn't, they couldn't, couldn't do it for themselves. And so, you know, that, that, and what they, what they would need to be created is that healing space, that healing space that would attract and create what they really wanted, that that would sustain what they really wanted. And that I could help them with, but 
in the position that I was in as a matchmaker, not working for my own company, I, I could only do so much. Like there was only so much that I could offer. I couldn't actually put them on a curriculum, you know, because that's not what they paid for. And they hadn't come asking for it. And even those who took the extra for it didn't have an understanding of what it would truly be because they didn't really know what they were being sold as far as getting coaching. I think they thought that it was, oh, you know, you'll tell me whether my outfit looks nice for the date, you know, things like that. So it was a very um, sort of interesting uh, conundrum that I found myself in, wanting so badly. And, you know, I was always truthful and authentic, but, you know, found myself in hot water a couple of times for the things that I would say that were very um, flat, that as a coach, I say easily to my clients without a problem because we have an established coaching relationship. But as a matchmaker, you know, w- was met with, you know, either hurt or a lack of understanding or an insistence, you know, just give me what I paid for. Not all the time. I mean, for the most part, I would say 99.9% of the time, I had loving, fantastic relationships with clients. But still always playing in the background it was this feeling that I could do so much more for them and that they deserved so much more and that where they were wasn't going to be able to get them what they wanted. So just feeling as though I couldn't give them what they wanted because they didn't know how to give themselves what they needed. If that, um, if that you know, explains it. I hope that that explains it. So, you know, I, I wanted to offer them healing hypnotherapy. I wanted to offer them curriculum so they could break the bonds of addiction, of perfectionism, of self-hatred and desperation, all of those, those bonds that they came with. And because the thing that they always had in common is that they were extremely hard on themselves. It never failed. All three companies I worked for, all the clients I, I dealt with, you know, except for a, a small handful, when you ask them about their relationship with themselves, they would say they were perfectionistic, that they were hard on themselves, that they were highly criticizing of themselves, which when we're like that, and we are often like that, I myself have been on a healing journey around that. And I still find myself being self-critical in a way that's not nearly as dramatic as it was, you know, when I was in my twenties and my thirties. But that is part of our journey of life is to heal that inner critic, that, that perfectionist, that thing that tells us that we're not enough over and over again. But the thing about that is when we are under the influence of that, that ego that says you're not good enough until you do this, you're not good enough until you drive the right car, you're not good enough until you have success in your career, you're not good enough until you're thin, you're not good enough until your face you know, is lifted and the wrinkles are smoothed away until you inject Botox in your, into your forehead, until you, you know, get those hair extensions, all those things that tell us that we're not good enough, it makes, it makes it really impossible for us to see value in other people. When we are steeped in that story, granted, we are all at some level of feeling insecure. And I don't come from a place of I'm not insecure. There are things I'm insecure about. And there are things that I, you know, that I do in order to enhance my beauty or to try to, you know, look fresher and younger. You know, I'm not judging anyone for that. But without any awareness around it, just to be steeped in perfectionism, 
It makes it almost impossible to love and see the value in other people. So no matter what avenue I take for finding love, whether it's with a matchmaker, a dating app, whoever, I'm gonna run into the same problems. And no matter how much money I spend, I'm gonna run into the same problems. In fact, the more money I spend, the more problematic it's gonna become because my demand will be higher. And this is the same reason why, you know, the women that I, I used as an example chose so poorly in their past and why, you know, they find themselves feeling so desperate about their future. It's that unhealed inner voice that's saying, you're not enough, you're not enough, you will never be enough until you find that external thing to prove it. And in these cases, it's that ideal guy that checks all the boxes. So those of us out there who are still in that headspace that I gotta find that ideal guy that checks all the boxes and I'm willing to pay all my money, but I'm not willing to make an emotional investment. And I don't even know that I'm not willing to make an emotional investment. When we're in a state of not enough, we cannot even recognize who that person is for us. We just think it's a bunch of external things and let alone accept them into our lives for love and happiness. If we can't be in love and happiness when we're alone because we're self-accepted, we certainly cannot be in love and happiness with someone else. We'll have a, you know, a quick romantic kind of flash of, oh, this feels good. And it'll take no time for us to go right back to our default setting of not enough. And let alone give up enough control really to let someone else find them, find him for, for us because that's often was the case as well. Like I can't give up my control when I'm not enough and I'm a perfectionist, I pay all this money and I will not give up my control. I will not give up my control. I wanna you know, see their profile, see their picture, judge them just like I would on, on Tinder or Bumble or Hinge or any of the rest of those and I won't give up control. Right, so I find myself with the same results, same behavior, same results that I've gotten before. And it's just too hard, it's a losing game. So I say all of this to say, for now I am clear that I don't need to work for or work with a matchmaker in, the, in that capacity as a matchmaker. And, and especially if they don't understand the value in having resources and offering resources to clients that really help them heal. You know, not just here's this book I recommend, actually having a coach on staff, actually being able to, you know, have the salespeople skilled enough to discern whether someone, you know, what they really need is therapy. What they really, and not, not to diagnose anyone, but to say, you know, look, if you're coming here with all your anger at your ex-husband, this process is not gonna work for you. What kind of healing stuff are you doing around this anger at your ex-husband? If you're coming here with, you know, your sad story about I'm the bad relationship girl, this process is not gonna work for you. And what kind of healing are you doing around being the bad relationship girl? If you're coming here with the, oh, I'm lonely, so I'm drinking by myself every night, you know, and they, and that stuff comes out in conversation, a, a solid enough conversation, you know, you can find out a lot of things about a person and I don't mean judge them. I mean, find out the, the details, right? Really have an understanding and be able to say, you know, a matchmaker needs to be able to say, you know, this, this is not going to work for you because until you get those other things out of the way, this process is going to be very frustrating for you, right? <laughs> and, and by proxy then for the matchmaker, because the matchmaker is going to keep trying to put people in front of them and they're going to keep knocking them down like pins. 
you know, so it's very important that that stuff be discerned. And I get it. You know, we all want to be in business. I don't want to knock anybody's hustle. We all, you know, want to be entrepreneurial and be in business and we want to make as much money as we can. But, you know, it ultimately ends up being a lot less value if it's at the cost of taking on people who aren't appropriate for what you're selling and selling them on something that you know deep down inside you're not going to be able to provide to them. You know, and so it's also, it's very clear to me that there is an opportunity here. Right? So... Oh, as I was saying earlier, so for now, I'm clear that I don't need to work with or, or, you know, work as a matchmaker. And especially, you know, with a company that doesn't understand that value of having a resource, a coach, you know, or, or someone who's discernible, um, you know, doing the sales that can really help clients heal and turning down the ones that whose delusions are way above the pay grade of a matchmaker and just not taking that hefty check. If that person's delusions, you know, as a potential client are just way above the pay grade, they should not be taken on because it's, it's, you know, and it's not a moral issue. It just, it, it's a, it's bad business. It's why so many um, matchmakers are in the, the position of damage control because they're trying to just get that hefty check, which ultimately ends up costing more. It costs more in, you know, legal fees and people wanting refunds and employee turnover and all of the, the breakdown and, you know, following that comes with uh, taking on clients that aren't really ready. But I'm also clear that there's an opportunity here because once clients have gone through my program, they have tapped into a part of themselves that can connect with their soulmate. They are actually ready to begin dating. They are actually ready to open up their hearts and have it be possible. They're ready to let go of that requirement list, that stringent requirement list. And even um, they're ready to let go of the looksist demands you know, that he have to be tall and good looking and, you know, have all these external things. I'm not saying that they're not still attracted to good looking people physically, but, you know, once clients have gone through my program, they have a profound understanding of how to prioritize the connection with their core values, what's really, truly important to them at their soul, at their core, how to prioritize that over, you know, things like physical attraction or external attraction. I don't want to call it physical attraction because the chemistry thing is also a high priority, but, you know, being able to just look at them and appreciate them. That becomes much lower on the priority list. And someone who's in that place where they want to match core values and they want to be open hearted and they're not still holding on to their, their hurt and their anger and they're willing to give people a chance. They're willing to look for the love and the, and the God and the specialness in people. Those are ideal matchmaking clients. Those are the kind of clients that any matchmaker would want to work with. The kind that really get that, you know, taking all their matches, meeting all the people, that there's opportunity in every date, even if it's not somebody I end up with, there's opportunity in every meeting. Those that understand that and value that, those are ideal clients because they'll have great experiences, they'll write great reviews, they'll feel good about the reviews that they wrote, they won't feel regret around it. They'll be happy that they spent their money, no matter how much money they've spent. It doesn't become about the amount of money. And, you know, a matchmaker that can, 
that can match with that kind of client will be an abundant matchmaker and not having to live in constant damage control and fear of, you know, what the client might do or say. And so, you know, another thing is that, you know, after clients work with me, they know who they are. They know what purpose their life can serve. They understand their value. They know how to fill themselves up to overflow onto another. They are asking themselves the question, what can I give to a relationship rather than what will that relationship give to me? They're focused on alignment with what they do want rather than lamenting about what they don't want. So all of those things, those, that's the, the sweet spot of a client. And I've had a couple of those, you know, don't get me wrong. All my experiences weren't negative experiences. I actually had several clients who actually were open to transformation, already on a transformation journey, were willing to have that kind of conversation. I mean, those are the ones that not only, you know, was I able to match, but also develop, um, you know, friendships with like professional friendships with and connections with and, you know, that were in the conversation and willing to be on the journey and understanding that their life is an evolution. And also none of them, it wasn't an age specific thing because there were older clients that just had no clue and younger ones who really understood how much growth is involved and how much change and evolution is involved in going from being single to being in a relationship. So, you know, they do exist. Those clients are possible, but they, it, they are too few and far between, I think, for a lot of these matchmaking companies, those clients. It's like, you know, it, it's like they're happy to get those few little um, good clients and deal with all the others and the damage control, you know, and there's sort of an acceptance that that's just how it has to be, which I don't believe that that's just how it has to be. So will I ever be a matchmaker again or take on the title of matchmaker? Well, I do still have a couple of, of my own private clients that I just work with in a very organic, healthy, amorphous way. I don't, I'm not claiming the title of matchmaker anymore right now because I'm not looking to take on more matchmaking clients or have that be a thing. I'm not looking to compete with any matchmakers. I'm not trying to start my own matchmaking company or any of that sort of thing. For a moment, I thought I might, I might, and I sort of started something, but then, you know, I worked for another company and, and I just, yeah, there's too many disparities for me to feel like that's something that I want to begin. Although I know that were I to choose to do that, one thing that I would implement is the coaching piece. So I would set it up so that people know that what they're getting is transformation with matches after they've gone through the transformation. It's like, um, you know, for example, I went to Tisch at NYU at grad school, right? So you have to actually go to school, get through school, learn the expertise, and then you get the networking. Then you get to meet all the possible people that could give you great jobs. And if you know anything about Tish, the acting and the design department, those people work. Those are the people that do all of the entertainment that you see in television and movies. A majority of, of you know, actors and you know uh, designers and people who work around entertainment came from Tish came from Yale, came from places where they had to learn how to do what they're doing. And then they got the benefits of being networked, of, of um, being matched with, you know, who would be appropriate to have them have a great career. And I know that's not the exact same thing as love, 
But that's what makes a successful process. You can't just throw somebody into something that they're in, they've been incapable of doing for themselves and expect them to be successful at it. There has to be some learning and transformation, some understanding that there's an evolution, an understanding that I gotta go from point A to point B in order for me to have C, right? So I say all of that to say, if I were to ever start a matchmaking company, that would be priority. And also, you know, I'm putting myself out there as far as matchmaking companies are concerned, because I know a lot of them are well-intended. I know a lot of them really, you know, want it to work and th their heart is in it. I know a lot of them are very wholehearted. And I'm, I'm wanting to, looking to, willing to partner with wholehearted matchmakers as a coach if they'd want to partner up and either do cross referrals or, um, you know, be a coach for their clients like work as a coach for, for their clients as a separate entity, obviously, you know, with my own business. And so, you know, I'll do it if it's a process of inviting people to focus inward, inward on the emotional investment so that they aren't setting themselves up for failure by believing that it stops at the financial investment. And I'll say that again, I would be a matchmaker again only if it's, through a process of inviting people to focus inward on the emotional investment, that the coaching piece is very important and valuable so that they aren't setting themselves up for failure by believing that it stops at the financial investment. So I don't ever wanna work with another person who has paid their money and thinks that they're gonna, that's gonna materialize their soulmate. And it stops there unless they're coming with the coaching and the therapy and the, you know, having figured, figured out who they are and why they're here and, and knowing what will align with them at their core, their core value stuff. I don't want to work with that client. So we do that with, with what we will. <laughs> However, my coaching business is very much alive and thriving. And so if you are out there and wondering what the hell with your love life, maybe you've been through bad relationships, maybe you're in a place like some of the clients that I mentioned, maybe you're, um, you know, I don't know, knocking yourself down and feeling low or not feeling enough and not feeling like you are able to attract what you truly deserve and what you truly want for yourself, that deep level love and acceptance, that unconditionality, that partnership, that connection. If you're ready to make a serious commitment for your transformation and you're suffering from the feelings of not, not being enough or not feeling enough, not knowing you're enough, not knowing that you are epic, enough, peaceful, illuminated, and courageous, and you are ready to make both a financial and an emotional investment for your freedom from all of that, your physical wellness and how you experience your love life, email me, Candice at CandiceHarperLoveCoach.com and just put consultation link in the subject line. So once you do that, I will send you um, a, con a link so that you can schedule. There'll be a short questionnaire that'll just ask you some questions to sort of pre-qualify you a little bit. And then you'll be able to schedule time on my calendar and we can talk about it. We can talk about if coaching is right for you before you jump in and make some mega investment in hoping that, you know, you're, you're buying from Build-A-Bear and your perfect ideal person is going to materialize without you doing any sort of healing work with you doing the same thing you've always done, except paying that money before you do that. Just let's have a conversation and see what's possible. All right, my sweethearts, 
that's it for this. We're doing kind of a short one because I just wanted to get the message across. I love you so much. So you can follow me on Instagram at Candy Love Coach. You can follow me on TikTok at Candy Love Coach. You can email me, askforcandypodcast at gmail.com. That's another way to get that consultation link. And you can email me, Candice, at candiceharperlovecoach.com. And that's it. I love you so much. And, um, you know, keep healing, keep growing. That is the purpose of our lives, transformation. There's nothing wrong with you. You haven't figured it all out. None of us has figured it all out. That is the purpose of life is to continue to grow and change and, you know, find leadership in your life in order to support you with doing that. Because there are people who've gotten to places that you want to reach. There are people who are experiencing life in ways that you want to experience. So continue to grow and stretch and find people who will help you to grow and stretch and support you in that. Never feel like you're done. Never feel like it has to be done. Never feel like, you know, you're going to get to a pinnacle where there's no more work to be done. That just doesn't exist. That's not how life works. Anyway, on that note, I love you so much. Don't forget to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, a ton of other ones that I can't remember right now. And um, until next time, never forget that you are a love machine, my sweetheart. And if you ever start to feel like you aren't getting the love you need, just make more and then ask for candy. I love you so much. Mwah, mwah, mwah. I call my sugar.